0: So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is Ian Joseph. This week we'll be taking a look at our wonderful victory over Gloucester. Looking forward to hopefully a couple more European games but that's a bit up in the air at the minute. It might be by the time you're listening that something's been decided. We might touch upon um, our return to Premiership action against London Irish, and then we'll do a roundup of the other results and a few little comments on uh, Premiership matches elsewhere. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, it's
1: at Folk on Falcons. Uh, Twitter is exactly the same. Again at folk on falcons and if you'd like to send us an email directly it's folk on falcons
0: at mail.com thank you so i think normally we start by launching into the match itself but i think this week we need to start by saying what an excellent effort it was just to get the match played at all because you've seen all the oh i'm sure i'm assuming you've seen all the pictures around the internet of Kingston Park under a few inches of snow and it looks like everybody mucked in to get the game on
1: yeah I mean obviously I'm the one living up here so um obviously I saw it for first hand and it snowed pretty heavily I'm sure a lot of our other listeners were heavily snowed on as well wherever you are in the world and especially in the northeast you could see all the effort the players were putting on because they, they obviously they publicized it on their on the very social media there's a lot of the players kind of put on jokingly you know their own efforts of you got Lufa Burrell, you know, they're shoveling his heart out or whatever to try and get the the game to go ahead. And, yeah, it was really nice to see. Um, I think that a few sort of questions were raised in terms of, oh, is it going to be enough? Because the night before it really did snow quite heavily. But, you know, credit where it's due. And I think a couple of the local businesses helped out in terms of providing, um, you know, heaters to obviously melt the pitch. Um, And that, I think, probably helped massively. but. Yeah, I mean, great effort by everyone, and it was absolutely fantastic. And it just shows that despite everything, you know, the club can really come together. And it's a shame that obviously fans couldn't have helped because I'm sure people would have queued up, you know, around the block to have helped and get that game on. Uh, but yeah, fantastic effort from everyone, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I remember in the past you'd get the uh, the call on Radio Newcastle saying, "Bring your shovel and and you'll get." I don't know, a free burger and a match day ticket or whatever. But um, obviously this year we can't do that. But yeah, it's, I think it's a um, testament to everyone involved. And also I think it, Dean Richards said it after the match, it's what the club's all about. We, we don't have the resources for heated pitches and all the rest like some clubs might. Um, We've just got to kind of get on with it and roll up our sleeves or put a coat on.
1: Yeah, I mean... As you say, Richard's made comment of it and it was really nice. I think that was a nice way to sort of cap off. Obviously, a good win um, was the fact that, you know, it was really a massive club effort. And I think everyone can take a lot of pride at the club for for the whole weekend and the few days preceding.
0: Yeah, so if we go to the match itself, I think a lot of Falcons fans have fingernails a couple of millimetres shorter than the start of Saturday. I'd say that we were the better team, but by God, we made hard work of it again.
1: Yeah that's right I actually thought it was well certainly in the league our worst performance of the season so far um you could tell from the off we just didn't have territory didn't have possession it was all Gloucester um there was a bit of a flip side from the week before when when we got our chance especially in the first most of the first half we obviously took the point um which was a nice change but yeah it, it just didn't look right from the off really um I, again, I've mentioned it before, and I'll mention it again, because he's such a huge player for us, Burrell. Um, we, I think we really missed him, because I thought a lot of the times when we did get territory, it seemed to go side to side, backwards just didn't look like we were really making much progress. Um, and I think he was a huge miss, because I think he could have had a really good day, actually. But yeah, as you say, really, really nervy stuff, made very, very hard work of it. There were, ever the optimists. there were lots of times in that match where, especially when Gloucester got to 12-10, I did sort of think the writing was on the wall and we were really just going to blow it. Uh, But credit where it's due, I mean, the defence was exceptional, really well organised. They made the point on the TV, and I I guess we'll make it again, that Gloucester obviously have fantastic wingers, but they didn't make use of them, partly because I think of our defence and partly just through their own fault in terms they didn't utilise them well. And when they did get the ball, they weren't in great positions to to sort of threaten us particularly. Um, So yeah, I think credit's where it's due. I think the defence was absolutely fine. Um, May's try, I guess, was well taken. That's, but again, that came from a penalty. And that was another fault. actually, we started to give away too many penalties, too many silly penalties. And when Gloucester did have territory in possession, they didn't tickle at that threatening, apart from when we gave them territory in terms of our penalties. And of course, that's when they got their, their, all their points from for the fact when we just gave away silly penalties, so we need to clamp down on those and that obviously added to the sort of anxiety to it but you're right, I think we were on the whole worthy winners and it was nice to be ruthless at the end to deny them the bonus point.
0: Yeah um, if we kind of go through the, the match um, start off without much great event happening and then Gloucester got an advantage, a penalty advantage but fortunately bre- made a break to our trial and the advantage was obviously over we got a cheeky turnover and for the first time i think this season radwans had some open turf ahead of him and i think um, credits due to sam stewart and blemire as well because if you look at the the ruck stewart sees the mismatch and he very quickly says we're going you can see him give a hand signal we're going right and he gets quick ball, draws the defender, passes it to Blumeyer. And once again, his hand, handling was exceptional. Well, it, was, it was pretty basic for a back, but you don't often get hookers with the vision necessary to draw two men in, give it to the winger in space. And Radwan did what he does best and pinned his ears back. And I think the only part of Johnny May that's not inside out is Kit.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really nice to see, wasn't it? Maybe it's a sort of a sign of things to come, you know. The, the, the old change of the guard, the new blood's coming through and, you know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe his best years are behind him now. But but no, but honestly, it was absolutely brilliant, wasn't it? And I, I knew that one, I think everyone probably, once Radwan, did get the better of me that was it you know no one's going to catch him and it almost seemed funny enough almost seemed sort of slow motion if that's the way to put it towards the end before he sort of went over the line but yeah i mean once he was in space and once he was clear with me there was only going to be one result and that kind of summed up i really i think in many ways what we're talking about the first half where we were mostly clinical um and we took advantage of the chances we had in that
0: regard up to almost half time yeah and then um, we missed the conversion again but um, we'll come on to that maybe a bit later but our second try with Orlando going in under the posts. Um, I seem to remember this happening two or three years ago we kept kind of picking and going from rooks from about the 22 and there were no pillars or guards whatever you want to call them and walking in under the post um, I remember Gary Graham doing it a few times I think that a lot of premiership teams seem to forget about the basics and there doesn't seem to be the fashion to compete as a ruck anymore and every now and again they just kind of forget to put anyone anywhere near it and if you leave the gate open someone's going to walk through it
1: yeah i mean that's true i mean it could be the fact that they have been drilled into a specific type of system or you know obviously they, they'll look at us throughout the previous weeks and sort of see how we do things and they've kind of been drilled into them over the training this is how we're going to defend A breaks down we're going to do a b and c or whatever and they just kind of they stuck to a plan when perhaps they shouldn't have and, and yeah it, it was only Willie Hinds there wasn't there and he was completely in no man's land and he just left the gate open as you say and you know again it was never one of these things where it was almost slow motion and Orlando himself was even sort of looking around to see if anything was wrong because it was almost too good to be true but yeah I mean you know if you give if you gift opportunities you got to take them and they did
0: Um, I'm not terribly keen on Orlando waltzing over the line looking over both of his shoulders and slowly putting the ball down I was expect it's a sort of thing where yeah it's fine he got away with it but at some point if he keeps doing that someone's going to wipe him out and That'll be five or seven points gone begging.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe it's a little bit nitpicky, but you're right. You sort of got, a, I guess, a way to say it's just played to the whistle. I guess you just sort of just you, get over the you track go there, and sprint there, down. put it down, and then you look around to see if anything's gone wrong. I suppose. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean that's probably the way to do it, but you know, can't be can complain too much, I don't
0: think. Yeah, and as as you alluded to in kind of your your opening gambit. Um, Gloucester made most of their territory through penalties and kicking and that's ultimately how they got their try they got a penalty hoofed it towards the corner rolling malls they are actually I thought they were actually reasonably good attacking at rolling malls and then Johnny May the only time he actually got the ball anywhere near our line in a dangerous position he was at half the yard out and flung himself over for the the five points.
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said before, uh, that was part of the frustration and anxiety was despite all the pressure in territory, I thought we were comfortable in defence. But again, I guess sort of Bristol as well, we, we, it's where we tend to, when we do we concede, it's either really brilliant plays and you sort of hold your hands up or it's very, very avoidable penalties. And if we'd just been a bit more disciplined, I think Richard said at the end of the match, this comment saying, you know, we did away too many penalties. And that that's all Gloucester had um and i think going forward i know every team will say this but it is so uh, it is one of the few areas that we do really need to work on is is this one. and i think it's also the way that we um challenge at the at the ruck can sometimes if you got the wrong side of the referee i think we we can be susceptible to getting pinged um so i think that's something we, we do need to look at but we've, we've got we have to stop against teams that perhaps we are expected to beat to make it harder than it needs to be really
0: yes i think something that makes us a little bit different from other teams in the league is that we're not afraid to counter ruck and put two three sometimes four five men in to slow it down win it back and also you draw in potential attackers by doing so because they've got to defend it and a result of that is slow ball we quite often get penalties for holding on or turn it over But then at the same time, you do run the risk that someone gets a bit of rushed to the blood to the head or something and gives away a silly penalty or ends up trapped or going off their feet or can't roll away, something unavoidable. And it's kind of one of these things where catch 22. But I think overall, um, it's not too much to complain about defensive-wise.
1: Yeah, I mean, our defence has been superb all season. Uh, And quite clearly, on the balance of things, it, it works more than doesn't because look where we are in the league. But I think to get it to work really properly in future, really use it effectively you have to be able to score lots of points because it's fine to kind of be on the edge and risk it if you know well all right yes they may kick a penalty over we may concede a rolling more from two meters out or whatever due to the penalty but we're confident that we can score lots of tries at their end we're not at that stage yet so it is a bit of a tight rope, but as I say so far it's worked so can't complain too much
0: yeah um depends on, I think Gloucester made it very easy for us um they've got oh, everyone was saying Johnny May one of the best wings in the world like to question that after his weekend's performance with Radwan but also Reece Zammett on the other wing is absolutely lightning quick and just like our young winger Stevenson, they're both people that give them the ball in space and they'll make yards almost every time Um, but their centres just failed to find them at all I was chatting to a friend from university a Gloucester fan and he was saying kind of the same as what I said in the past that centres these days never seem to pass the ball there seems to be a trend for centres smashing it up and not being able to pass it and I can't remember a time where they had an overlap and actually got the ball to the wing in the whole match and players like 12 Trimons came on and historically he's had kind of half a yard of pace to get through a gap and put someone away but he's lost his half yard of pace and he doesn't seem to look up anymore and I don't mind defending against it because it's pretty easy just to track across the pitch or tackle people in the centre.
1: Yeah, I mean when I looked at the matchup Obviously, the, the starting 15s before the game. Um, I thought our forwards, I mean, I thought it was a exceptional season. I thought we probably had them at the forwards. Uh, I looked at their backs, obviously got their wingers, and I thought, well, that's where the danger is going to be. Um, but it's as you say, with their centres, I thought Harris in particular was very, I knew he went off and then he was replaced, but he was, he kind of summed it up for them. Um, he, In the sense that actually, when he had the ball, you know, he was actually quite secure of it. I don't remember. But Gloucester giving away too much sort of knock-ons or or spilling it, that sort of thing but we dealt with it really well so I mean Harris going forward generally has sort of one play and that's sort of bashing it up most of the time and we dealt with that really well, I, I think only occasionally they sort of made ground but I thought we dealt that well and in terms of the wingers as we've said they just didn't utilise them at all um they just couldn't get the ball out to them quickly enough or correctly enough or didn't take the opportunities when they did have space and as we've said when they did get it it was often they were nowhere near our line or they just had to kick it away or were sort of from a standing start and call it that and just they couldn't get the space to get past our defence
0: yeah you just touched on the forwards there I think um the main areas is the forwards that kind of set piece play um scrums I think our our front five and or the whole pack actually um we out scrum then there's a lot of times actually the scrums went down a where people stood up and the referee just kind of waved play on and the ball got passed out the back still. Um, I know some referees tend to do that, others don't. I think another referee, there would have been an awful lot of penalties given the uh, scrum breakdowns. I think for, similarly in line-outs, we kind of had them well marked. There was, a, there was a one at um, the end of the first half where it was our line-out and we cocked it up and he just made them reset it. And I thought we were quite lucky just to have a do-it-again call because he said you were holding him in the air, you weren't letting him come down, and Gloucester, you can't try and pull him down. But in that, in that situation, we've actually committed the first offence. And it came just to say you're both as bad as each other, I thought we were a bit fortunate there.
1: Yeah, I thought actually with the line-outs, um, even though I think we only lost one, but um, they made the point on TV that they, you know, us two were the best 2 lineout jumpers in the league, or certainly us two in the top three. And um, I thought that when they started to do the short line-outs, maybe that was a sort of a sign that, we kind of recognised how good they were at the line-out and we kind of had to do something different because I thought that even though we won most of the line-out ball, they were actually challenging quite well. So I think that perhaps, you know, they did about two or three times that short line-out, didn't they? Yeah. I think that um, was a sign of just trying something different and trying, you know, to see if they can sort of get past
0: them in a way in the line-out. Well, all three short line-outs short line were a bit different because Wilson tended to be at the front of them and they'd throw it to him. And the first one, Wilson kind of went up himself. The next one, it was passed back to Blamire, trundled down the wing a few yards. The next one, it was straight out Sam Stewart to fly half. And they'd obviously worked on it, and it was nice to see that little bit of variation. And then I think um, a back row, once again, absolutely phenomenal. Over the park, Gary Graham, once again, every time he went into contact, he made half a yard, a yard more than you'd expect a kind of a normal human being to. Mark Wilson was at every breakdown, falling side. Haven't seen stats, but I wouldn't be surprised if he covered the most yards, tackled the most men, thumped the most people and all the rest of it. And then once again, I think uh, Blindside Robinson was... He just, does all, he just does all the mopping up that you expect from Blindside Flanker.
1: Yeah, I mean, the forwards were absolutely exceptional, again. And it's, it's credit to absolutely everyone. Uh, obviously, the players and the coaches... That every week our forwards are, are exceptional to a, to a man without fault, and even when we do have a change, slight change of personnel, no matter who comes in, you know each week whether they're starting most of the time or if they've only come in for, you know whether it's like Collard who started but is obviously not he's not starting now that Wilson's there and, and Graham is there now. Even, but even when he comes in, even against Bristol when he's on for a few minutes, didn't look out of place. So I think it's an absolutely exceptional effort and well done, certainly so far, to everyone, the club, the players and the coaching staff for, for how phenomenal the forwards have been. But I think if we we still have a couple of criticisms in terms of, we're still seeing it every week and that's the goal. One of them is the goal kicking and the other one is still not taking chances like where we spent 10 minutes in the, the first half. And we should have put the game to bed then, and got off for a try and, and didn't. And I, they're two things that we still do need to address.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a little bit worried with the way that some players are playing that come Six Nations, we might lose more than we have in previous years. Um, I, I know that Ireland sometimes get a bit interested in McGuigan. Uh, obviously, Gary Graham might get the Scotland call up again. Um, I think everyone's going to be looking at some birth certificates of some of our backs or uh, seeing who their potential eligibility for various countries is. Um, I do wonder whether... We might see a few more people uh, leaving in the international window than we usually do. Then at the same time, I think that Mark Wilson might not get picked for England again. Um, I I wouldn't be able to justify it, but it's just one of these things that seems to happen that players in the northeast get overlooked in England?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not actually massively concerned about international selection, actually, because, as you say, we often get overlooked. Uh, I think, you know, I think Graham's at risk, unfortunately. Um, but apart from him, as I you know, I don't think Wilson will get picked. Um, be very surprising to a lot of people, but I don't think, you're right, I don't think Wilson will get picked. Maybe one of these, you know, preliminary squads like he often is, but won't make the final cut. Um, but I mean, apart from Graham, I, I'm not sure off the top of my head of any other player particularly a massive risk. Um, unless sort of Egypt start playing rugby and Radwine sort of heads off there for a game or something but he's knowledgeable
0: for Egypt apparently
1: yeah yeah I think he's half Egyptian or something or um, well, well, a parent is from Egypt or something like that but yeah anyways I mean I think apart from possibly Graham I think, do think we're actually at much risk of using international place, which is actually going to be really important because the, I mean let's we we can be a little bit optimistic and say that come sort of six nations we're still going to be around top six even top four and if that's the case, you're going to be, you have the, our sort of rivals around those positions. will be losing players and a much, well, far more players relatively than we are. And I think that that could actually really, really help us.
0: Yeah, so you, you touched on it um, a bit earlier on, but I think we've come back to our issue with kicking for goal. I know that we've won matches without needing a kicker, but I think we would have probably had bonus points in some matches if we'd have had a kicker because we'd had the freedom to play at the end of the game.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a real worry. And actually, it's sort of, you know, we could never kind of get everything right, I suppose, you know, what club does. But, you know, sometimes we have say that oh, these are our forwards aren't that good, but our backs are really good and vice versa. But actually, we've always generally had really good kickers, if anything. Um, but it, it is, I think, actually, probably the biggest worry is that um, none of our kickers seem to be consistent. I mean, maybe Hodgson might be the most consistent, but he's not starting, he's not obviously playing whole matches. So it's a real problem because there was again there there were a couple of kicks yesterday that were very, very kickable and missed both Flood and um Conan. So yeah and you look at Conan's stats, they boarded up or something, it was like something terrible, like around forty percent kick success rate or something. You think if you're you know your premiership club we we talked about this right at the start of the season saying that, you know, if you're going to do well in the if you're going to survive, or even thrive, you have to have, as a basic, a decent goal kicker, otherwise, you know, after the you know, where, where your point's going to come from otherwise um, but we seem to have somehow managed without that, but it's something we, we do really need to address, and if we do address that, then, you know will be obviously much stronger for it.
0: Yeah, I think we were also fortunate in that Evans missed a couple for Gloucester as well, which I thought they'd get. There's one towards the start of the game where he stuck it wide and there's one a bit later on that he missed as well. Fortunate in that respect.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I think a couple of those were, as I say, it was, you know, stupid penalties you gave away and you fall that when he lined up, especially there was one in particular, wasn't there, that was, you couldn't believe he missed it. Um, especially, they bought up his kicking stats and it was like 95% or something. be really good. But yeah, I think that's happened a couple of times in this season, hasn't it? Where we saw Priestland, where he had a poor kicking game, which really sort of helped us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think our luck is going to run out and we will obviously have go against a kicker who will kick everything so you know we've got to we've got to improve we've got to improve that area because if we don't we will lose games
0: talking of games to potentially lose it's not quite sure who our next game will be against obviously supposed to be the European fixtures um but there's all the talk at the minute about them having to do an emergency restructuring or rethinking of Things depending on what the french government say
1: yeah um obviously as of recording this we still aren't entirely sure what the decision is going to be um but who knows i suppose um, i mean before we record this we're obviously talking about what sort of the options could be and we'll probably talk about those in a in a minute or two but yeah it, it's it's a tough one and it must be really frustrating for obviously all the clubs because you have no idea sort of what to do and how to prepare and and sort of, well, what's happening
0: next? If you look at the, the Challenge Cup that we're involved with, um, out of the bottom nine teams, six of them are French. So I don't know whether they would look at things in a slightly different way when making decisions there. Logically, for me, it would seem you could split up into almost two sub-pools within the league and just completely rearrange all scheduled fixtures and then make the French teams play two other French teams and make everybody else play everybody else. But then it's not a true reflection of perhaps the difficulty of matches, and you might end up with the French teams playing arguably easier fixtures against other French teams than that some of the Celtic League or the English teams playing potentially stronger opposition.
1: I suppose the problem with that format is, all right, you have the French teams play each other, but then where, what happens to the winners of those games? You Because know, if, if they can't travel, then all right, they've, they've played each other, they've had matches for the sake of it or whatever, but then you know they, they can't progress in any competition, they can't win anything because they can't play anyone outside of France.
0: Well, Um, I guess it it depends on how long the um, restrictions are on travel for, doesn't it? Um, Whether it would span to when it comes to the last 16 or whether the restrictions would still be on at that point in time.
1: No, actually, that is a really good point. Yeah, I mean, yes, you could have the option of splitting it French teams and then everyone else in another conference, as you were. Um, But I I don't know what they're going to do. It's a really tough one. But I think it's important that something happens because, you know, Teams need to play games. We can't have it where we're sat for weeks just not doing anything. And you've got, you know, these teams all have decent sized squads with players who need to play. And you've got to have some sort of competition to, to play them. And I mean, in, in normal sort of circumstances, you'd have the, you know, the European competitions and you'd have the, the domestic cup competition. They've scrapped the domestic cup competition this year. So for a lot of the, these players, the only, the only opportunity they'll get to play is in this. European, well, are in the European competitions, and if they're scrapped or greatly curtailed, then you know, but I think that creates a lot of difficulties in terms of a lot of the players. Like how, how do you keep them match ready? How do you keep them fit?
0: How do you keep them sort of happy? Really, so I think they, something needs to be arranged. Yeah, there's two sides to this. One is what about the players and the squads? I think there's what about the matches? And I think when you look at the falcons teams that played in europe and not some of the other it's, it's a lot some some teams play relatively strong teams in europe others play an awful awfully weakened team or we just seem to kind of rotate to a whole different squad and you you're quite right that if it wasn't for the european competition and with no domestic cup all those players they're not going to be made redundant but they're not going to suddenly make pre- premiership appearances and if they do make appearances and will we so they don't have any match sharpness whatsoever the other side of things is, suppose they just scrapped the European competition to just challenge Cup or the Heineken Cup. Suppose they just scrapped it. You've then got a load of windows in the premiership season where coronavirus postponed matches could potentially go ahead. And the way it's going is there's going to be maybe one or two every week that are being postponed or cancelled. And you could just shove them back later into the year and put them into the windows, which would appear.
1: Yeah, possibly. But then I suppose you have the the argument, well, what happens about teams have already been awarded points, obviously like us. Um, We've already been awarded the points. That's kind of done and dusted. And then you kind of get the questions of, well, is it fair that, you know, for example, Leicester were just given two points for nothing, when if we replayed the match, We could have got five and they could have got nothing or or whatever. So uh, I don't know. I mean, the suggestion at the top of my head would be, um, I mean, I mentioned this to you before as well, In sort of provide the A-League in a way, um, and that you could have just a domestic competition amongst the premiership teams, and you can make it sort of have a a little trophy at the end or something, um, just for a silverware for a club to win, um, just to give players the opportunity to play in some sort of competitive setting. Um, it's sort of like a last resort and I think some sort of that would be fairly uh, fairly easy to arrange as it can be in, you know, COVID conditions but um, I think it's an absolute last resort I think you could always arrange something like that and I think even that would be quite useful and probably good fun because it's a bit rugby for fans for players and you could have, as I say, a little bit of silverware at the end of the competition even, even if it is like a sort of, you know, a second team or a league competition.
0: Yeah, I think um, there's kind of two sides to this again because you've got the Challenge Cup where it's not really a massive money spinner for rugby it's kind of the, the sports pages barely talk about it at all and it's something that not too many people get involved with then you've got the heineken cup on the other hand where it gets all the press and there's a lot more money in it and those clubs actually play their first teams in those matches not their b teams i think you've got the situation there where massively different arguments come into play and as always money comes into play and i i can't imagine them scrapping the heineken cup i think they'll just reformat it um they might potentially kick the French teams out or make them go into their own little mini-knockout competition, which might join later again in the year, maybe a French quarter-finalist or whatever might appear, or two French quarter-finalists or French semi-finalists. But also at the top of the Heineken Cup pools, you look at it, the French teams are doing extremely well in the Heineken Cup as opposed to the Challenge Cup where they are doing quite poorly.
1: Yeah, I suppose that's almost like, in many ways, a nuclear option in the sense you could just say well you know i'm I'm sorry french teams you know the french government says you can't play but there's no reason why the rest of teams can't play in a competition they're still allowed to so unfortunately you know we can't have french teams in it anymore i guess that could be an option i mean obviously lots of controversy and you could have you know fair enough criticism i suppose in some ways but i mean that that's an option i think the point is is you know there's gonna be positives and negatives to, to any sort of arrangement they come up with but I think at the end of the day, it is possible to come up with an arrangement. It's just whether it's feasible and whether I have the will to do it, I think.
0: Yeah, I guess ultimately it depends what the French government decides. And if the French say you're not coming in and we're not letting people out, there's so much you can do about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, as I say, well, we'll just have to see. I mean, it could be when people listening to this is all done and dusted and we, we do have a clear idea, but it's all up in the air at the moment. And it's kind of, I guess, fun to sort of speculate and come up with sort of, Dream competitions or whatever, but we're just going to have to wait and see, aren't we? And as you're right, you are right in the sense that rugby does have to play second figure sometimes, unfortunately.
0: So that if we're not playing uh, Castro and Cardiff in the coming weeks, then our next match would be against London Irish. I know that they, well, they've they just drawn against uh, Harlequins this afternoon. They've got the bonus points. They're obviously not afraid of scoring tries. So I think that looking at the recent form of teams, etc., I think once again we would be favourites for that. But um, I don't think we can rest on our laurels too much.
1: Yeah, I mean they do look a dangerous side, especially going forward. I mean they do score a lot of points. Um, defensively they're a bit more suspect. But one of the one of their strengths rather is they do have a very good kicking Paddy Jackson. And as I said, as we've just said, that's something we don't have. So that's something we need to be really careful of. If we give away lots of needless penalties, they will punish us. Um, I mean, Dundee Irish in that game against Holigren's could have won it at the very end. Patty Jackson had a penalty about forty meters out or something, which only narrowly missed. And he, you know, if it, any, anywhere else in your half, it'd be good money on him to knock them over. So you have to be really careful. Um, it's also interesting from our point of view in the sense that. I think it's it'd be a real sort of litmus test for where we are, where we want to be this season because every other game, apart from potentially gloucester ones at home and slightly different circumstances, we've sort of been the underdog and we can kind of just attack it and hope for the best and play, play how we play and if we win, then great. If we lose, then, you know, whatever. But this is a game where we're we actually are expected to win. Um, and it's an away game where we're expected to win. So I think if we want to be a, a top four side, uh, we actually want to challenge in that area, then we have to go to London Irish and we have to, to win and win convincingly to kind of prove that that's where we're going to be this season. Because if we lose to London Irish, all it takes in this league is a couple of defeats and you can slip right down the table. So we have if we want to maintain where we are, we have to be beating London Irish And they're not going to be easy at all But that, but if we are going to be in the top four We have to win these games And it's not going to be
0: difficult But that's going to be the test for us Yeah, look, looking at the um, the league table it, it is beginning to open up, I think You've got the, the top, I'd say the top five um, The five points between us um, And then it spreads out a bit after that And between fifth and seventh You've now got a five-point gap And then Gloucester are in danger of becoming a bit adrift they've only got three points between them and Worcester but there's six points between them and London Irish so it's beginning to develop into chunks as opposed to a continuous spread um always happens every year you get these little gaps within the table but it's starting to start to split apart I think and fortunately we're in the right part of it at the minute but these things can change very quickly
1: yeah I mean I, I you know, I always sort of thinking every week you know I keep thinking if we win this week we can really start to believe top four or minimum top six um, and I was thinking that after Gloucester you know if we beat Gloucester then we can really start thinking about it but I think after we beat London Irish I think we can be optimistic of course if we do win because not only the amount of games that we've played but also if you look at the Lito as you say there is a, a split starting to de- de- develop and we will be a good few points from the bottom teams at that point point. Um, and I think our objective could be as a minimum top six, he would have thought considering where we are um and considering the points gap but and I think going forward, we just have to kind of keep keep getting the points keep winning, and then we can start to really sort of think, well, yeah, could we could get top four um because I think we actually have more points this season at the same at the same stage as we did when we did finish fourth, so I think at this stage for us to not be in the top six would be a disappointment, I think, as we've had such a strong start. Um, I think we'd have to have a pretty catastrophic drop in form for us to really drop away from the top six. But I think it's important to keep piling up the points, keep getting the wins, and then we can start to kind of cement ourselves in the top four.
0: Yeah, I know that Geoffrey Boycott, when he's on Test Match Specialist, says, if you add two more wickets onto this, it doesn't look like such a clever scoreline. I've kind of gone by the motto over the last few years, if you take off eight points, i.e. two losses and everyone else winning, if that was the case now, we'd be joint with Bath and London Irish in joint ninth, um, which isn't horrendous, and we'd still have six points ahead of Gloucester. So I think that last week we were saying it's still very close and we need to win against Gloucester. Now I think we can say there is a bit of breathing room. If we go around the, the rest of the Premiership matches this weekend, Friday night there was absolute ding-dong uh, down at Bath, 44-52, um, Wasps came out of victors, and I can't remember seeing a score line like that in competitive match for years
1: yeah um, and the fact that it, i mean the fact i mean on 90 odd points but i mean it was it was the fact that also that it was so evenly the as in the points distribution so evenly between the two teams i mean i know you've had games where one side has absolutely slaughtered the other side but um in terms of ha- such a high scoring game and it being so close is it, very unusual I mean, it's one i haven't actually seen the highlights of i think it's when the highlights go on channel five or whatever it is on uh, tomorrow night, I think mean, that's definitely
0: one for everyone to have a look at. Well, about half an hour of the highlights will be taken up by that match alone um, Interestingly, Bath got the four try bonus point, not the losing bonus point, because they lost by eight, whereas in the other match, Worcester, who only got the I think it was just just the one try against Sale they lost um, 2013 at Sale um, Yeah, they, they just got the one penalty try and obviously they end up with a, a point likewise, so it's one of these funny things where the team that Gives it their all and plays extremely well, but obviously can't defenses save their life. Um, ends up in the same situation as another team uh, it doesn't put didn't play anywhere near as well. We came out 22-10 victors over Gloucester, which briefly put us top of the league. Um, I know a few of you saw that on social media and quite liked that. Um, Exeter lost to Bristol, um, 7 points to 20, which I think just shows quite... Two things, quite how good Bristol are this year. And also, we lost by a lower margin than Exeter.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, well, two things about that. I mean, firstly, it's a bit frustrating because obviously we could have beaten Bristol. You know, it was, that was entirely in our, in our hands. And we could have been top of the league even after Bristol beating Exeter. So that, that was a, a chance blown. But um, Bristol were very good. Um, they were very professional. Um, didn't really give Exeter much at all. Exeter, you can tell, just aren't quite there. Um, they were doing, they were a bit more sloppy than normal, giving away more than they normally would. Um, there's obviously something, obviously just having a bit of a blip in form. I mean, it happens to everyone, I suppose. I don't think you, you, you know, write extra off at your peril. I know we're sitting ahead of them at the moment, but, you know, I don't think we're going to be coming into the season still ahead of Exeter. Um, I would still probably say they're favourites to win the league still, even despite the four points around Bristol. But yeah, I mean, Bristol, obviously, is a massive statement by them. And even at this early stage, I would imagine those two are the top two. It's just a case of which way around it's going to be.
0: Then the final game on Saturday was the, I guess it's called a a Midlands derby with... Leicester and Northampton. Um another one these ones just come to coronavirus. And then as we've mentioned, uh Harlequins and London Irish, the London Derby. Interestingly, a drawn match, but London Irish end up getting the bonus point situation. Harlequins scoring three tries and London Irish getting their fourth.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, one of the three things. I mean, it's remarkable how London Irish ended up with three points and Harlequins get two match points from that from you know, from, from a draw. Um but yeah, it's as we were saying before, I mean London Irish were were dangerous and they were Harlequins, you you know, I think in terms of their quality of players are superior to London Irish, but Again, they're really sloppy. Something, something's not right at Harlequins as well. You see a lot of these bigger-name teams. there's just something isn't right at the moment. Um, and London Irish were actually quite clinical. And Harlequins had a few chances to put the game to bed, actually, and they, they didn't. Um, and London Irish sort of kept coming back. Um, and that had one try, and luckily, ruled out as well, TMO. So it could have been even worse for Harlequins. But, yeah, interesting one. It, it kind of shows, actually, how close the league is this season. I don't think you... You certainly don't have a rabbit team at the bottom of the league who's miles worse than everyone else. And it just kind of shows that if you turn up and a team has an off day, you can get a result anywhere, really.
0: Indeed. Um, It's interesting that Mike Brown was starting and actually got on the score sheet for Harlequins because I know there's been a bit of speculation of his future during the week. Has there been any more allusion to what's going on?
1: Uh, I mean, not really. I mean, it all started in the rugby paper article, um, which I think there's possibly some grounds for a bit of excitement because usually they're pretty accurate um and i mean even if say a, a rumor doesn't come off the point is that, that there's some truth to it in that there's there's interest in that player for example and it just maybe not come off at the end or whatever but but you also there's truth to it in the sense that brown richards do do have that relationship so it's not a million miles off and it's not a massive pie in the sky one i don't think but i don't think there's been anything else since that article but it'd be interesting because i mean I, i've commented on it um, saying that actually personally I think it would be a very good signing um, maybe his best days are past him but you know he's got a really good try today really smart try but a really good performance and I think it's he would help strengthen the squad I mean would you have him start in front of Penny I don't know maybe um, but the point is he's he's a good enough player to be considered to start in a team that's second at the moment and I think even if he wasn't he would add some real quality to, to the squad um, and I think it, it even if it's only for a season or two I think it's definitely worth having um, and it's in a position where we, we do need strengthening and in the past, we've kind of bought these older players and they've done really well for us. And yes, it may be a bit of a risk, but I think it's probably one worth taking. Yeah,
0: and Mike Brown doesn't have much hair, but it's still better than Penny's kind of weird mullet thing he's got going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I know Barbara's not open at the moment, but I'm sorry, but that's not really an excuse, I'm afraid. For
0: <laughs> right, I think on that note, it's um, about time we uh, call it a day. So it's goodbye from me. Bye, everyone.